Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 14 of For Your Eyes O-Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Choriki Sentai O-Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how are you doing today, bud? Not bad, man. Had a nice weekend. Nice. Uh, happy, uh, happy President's Day to you. Yeah, I got the day off, which is nice. Me too. We are recording this at like 11.45 on a Monday morning. Yeah, which is weird. But hey, whatever whatever works. Yeah, Thanks. Man, I'll take it. For being born, presidents. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were two, of the, two of the good ones, right? Yeah, well, you know, I know it used to be, uh, there used to be two separate holidays for Washington and Lincoln's birthday. And I think they got sick yeah. of giving people that many days off of school. And so they just no, changed. No, it's the exact same amount of days uh, when they brought in... When it was nationally determined that Martin Luther King deserved his own day, that's a day off, and now the presidents just got lumped together. So it's the exact same amount of days off. Oh, okay. It's yeah, that works now. for me. Yeah, no, I'm, to- I'm I'm down. It's cool. Right on. Um, anyway, that's our that's our little holiday history for you. Um, but that's not all we're talking what, about today. I'm sure that's what the people tune in for, Matt. Uh, now, Dave, they, they tune in to hear the Cleveland weather report. Today, it is pretty warm and kind of rainy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, uh, what they're actually tuning in for is to listen to us talk about the Cherokee Sentai O-Ranger, and today we are talking about episode 14 of that show, Dave. It's called I Love Pinocchio. Uh, but before we get into that, as always, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So our first star of the week, Matt, is that the Olympics are on. We're actually into the yes. second and I think final week of competition. Uh, they they go a little over two weeks. Like, they start on a Friday night and they end it, like, on a Sunday night, I think. Oh, okay. But we are into, we are, we are into the, the back half of the Olympics. America doing, like, not amazing. We're doing okay. Yes, yes. The Winter Olympics aren't nearly as strong for us as the Summer Olympics. Well, that's because we're not Norway, and most of the Olympic, the Winter Olympics events are just like, they went to Norway sometime in the 1920s, looked around and said, yeah, all that stuff is sports. These are sports Yeah, now. I was, because I saw in the thing in the opening program, and they said, Norway holds the record for, like, most Olympic medals at at uh, at the Winter Olympics. And I was like, Re- Norway? Really? And I started, so then every time there was an event that I didn't know about already, you know, like I know a little bit about figure skating, but I don't know anything about ski jumping. Right. And so I started to look these events up and yeah, they all, the histories of them all begin with, this began in Norway. Yeah. Uh, And so it's just like the Norwegians invented it and then went on to like romper stomper everybody else on the face of the planet at those things. Oh dude, speaking of weird ski events, this doesn't exist anymore, but did you know that there used to be a Winter Olympics event? called Ski Ballet. I did not. Uh, Do yourself a quick favor and Google that thing. Uh, Just check out a quick YouTube video. It's it's like cross... Okay, it's like figure skating, but they're wearing skis, and they're sort of like pushing themselves around on a flat, snowy surface and like launching themselves off with their ski poles and doing flips. But then they're just sort of like... Like, doing weird, 
like walk around bits because they're still wearing skis, which is not very elegant. Yeah. Dude, it's hilarious I... looking. So speaking of old events, have you ever gone back and checked out really early figure skating? Like, uh, no, I like have not. Like the 20s figure skating. Uh, I have not done that thing. Okay, it's incredible. Uh, sorry, it's incredible because it's not incredible at all. It's literally like, because it's no one's ever done it before. And so it's just like, literally it's called figure skating because you skated out figures like, ah, look at how perfect that figure eight was. Gold Ooh. medal. <laughs> And then somebody figured out that you could, like, do a little jump and then a spin. That if you go back to, like, really early figure skating, I mean, I still couldn't do it because I can barely skate. Sure. But it's so insanely basic that uh, you you just realize, like, the first person to figure out that you could jump and maybe do a spin while you were jumping, everybody must have lost their minds, I think it's the same way if you can go back and watch old uh, gymnastics, like really old, uneven bar stuff. Oh, yeah. It's super like they kind of are like swinging and hopping. And then, you know, well, this is uh, this is actually the case in the men's figure skating this year is that I, I, I was talking to our sister Katie about this, that apparently they have like a handful of dudes have figured out that you can do quadruple axles. Mm -hmm. Like you can get up and jump. You can spin four times before you land, but it's really, really hard to do. And so like all the dudes at like the top of the tier and like Olympic men skating can do it, but they can't all like land it super consistently. Right. Right. And so we were watching the men skating and just basically it was like the, you know, these are like the best skaters in the world and all of them are biffing it on the ice, like oh, landing yeah. on their butts. It's kind of yeah. hilarious because they yeah, look so like, beautiful and graceful. And then they go up for like the most amazing feat that a figure skating can do and just completely like nail their bums on the ice. Yeah. And there's, well, the thing is, is I guess is that there's just no, ver like because someone can do it, everyone has to do it. And so there is no, ver like, you just have to try it, and if you and if you land it, then great. But you can't not land it, and so it's just like everybody is in super go big or go home mode, uh, which is kind of amazing. On the other hand, I do feel bad for these guys because they are not they're not landing their jumps. Ooh, yeah, Matt. Sorry, I did take a moment, and I am looking up 1985 Breckenridge Ski Ballet. Oh yeah, my it dude is like who. Who invent? I mean, listen, this is super impressive. I don't want to make it sound like it's not. But they're getting the poles involved. Like, it's the poles are a pro... Whoa! Okay, this dude just pulled a really impressive move. He had both poles in front of him, and he, like, stuck them in the ground and then literally, like, flipped up and over while doing a 180. If yeah, it dude. didn't look so absurd... This is a really impressive event. It just looks oh, yeah. ridiculous. It's mind-blowing, but also goofy as all heck. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm trying to think if there's any other Olympic stuff we want to talk about before the end. Uh, no one's died see. in a skeleton yet, so that's cool. 
And I think the skeleton is over because they moved on to yeah, bobsled. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's done and nobody died. So I feel like if no one dies on the skeleton, that is a that's a win as yes. far as the Olympics are concerned. Uh, I love that we're into the bobsled now because I love to see how the different countries paint their bobsleds. Yes, uh, like uh, oh, Germany has flames on the side. <laughs> there was a guy in the skeleton who had an Iron Man decal on his helmet. So when he like was going down, it looked like Iron Man was flying. That was pretty uh-huh. rad. I think uh, my, sec- my other favorite thing. So my, one of my favorite things about the Olympics is that like, yeah, Norway just like crushes everyone except in speed skating where like the Dutch just dominate. Like just the Dutch beat everybody at speed skating. The other thing I love about the Olympics is when teams are there that have like no logical business being at the Winter Olympics. Oh, like they're from a country that has never seen snow. Yeah. Like there was a dude from... um. Oh, he's the shirtless oiled guy. He was really famous. Oh, T- Tonga. Tobago? Tonga, thank you. Sorry. I hey, apologize. He Tonga. was in a, he was a like a summer Olympian who got super famous because he was shirtless and oiled up during the opening ceremony. And then he's like, Well, I guess my thing is being shirtless and oiled up in opening ceremonies, so I need to learn a winter Olympic sport so I can yeah. switch over and do it again. So yeah, I love both extremes. Uh <laughs> I just mm-hmm. got a big kick out of it. Uh, yeah, it's super great, um, but we can't just talk about the Olympics all day, Dave, so much as we may want to. Um, what is our second Star of the Week? So, our second Star of the Week, Matt, is my kitchen. Uh, okay. Okay, I, well, I, have, I have seen it. I know what's up. Yeah, you have. Well, have you seen it recently? Uh, I mean, I was at your house on the weekend. Oh, that's true. Well, we, we reorganized, Matt. Oh, that's so, right. I couldn't find the bottle opener. Yeah, sorry. So here's what happened: is uh, there is a vi- video, uh, YouTube video channel, and it's called British Pathé. And British and Pathé is like a style of film, and it's like I think it's I could probably just look it up, but I think it's it's sort of like documentary esque, mm-hmm. okay? But it's like short slice of life documentaries. I think that's what Pathé films are, okay? Okay. And so they've got a huge uh, catalog, like an archive of films from, like, all over the 20th century. But the ones that I was really interested in are ones from, like, the 50s and 60s where they're showing you, you know, it's like how it's made, but from the 50s. And all the narrators sound like this. Like, that's the whole, right? Well, sure, that's how people sounded in the 50s. That's how everybody sounded. And so we were, you know, we were, like, watching these videos because they're fun. They're, like, showing you how to make, like, liqueur chocolates and stuff. And then one of the videos comes up, and it's not actually from British Pathé. It's from, it's some, like, archival footage from the 50s of the United States Department of Agriculture. How, and they were, like, doing research for, like, farm wives on how to best set up a kitchen. They're oh, like, interesting. We're the, yeah, they're like, we're the USDA. We're interested in farmers. Like, we want to help farmers do their thing. One of the biggest hassles is, like, for farm wives, like, dealing with food prep. Like, it's just really, it's a giant pain, and it takes forever, because it just does. Yeah. And so we are going to, like, devote government resources to figuring out what is, like, the best possible layout for a kitchen. And so they showed them going through, and they're like, the the preparatory station for all of your bread making should be 36 inches wide, because, like, huh. 30 inches isn't enough. And, like, 42 inches is great, but it's kind of more than you need. Okay. So, like, the the best midpoint for, like, space versus efficiency is, like, 36 inches. And so they design 
this whole kitchen. The kitchen of the future. The kitchen of the future. Yeah, exactly. But they did it. They did it. So they designed the kitchen of the future. Okay, it's not actually a kitchen of the future because it's not like making use of like weird technology. They're like, in the year 2000, everything will be done by robots. It's like... Listen, like, you've got a counter, and you need to have, like, a place to store potatoes and onions and a garbage can and, like, a stove and everything, right? hmm But, like, how do you best optimally lay it out? And, like, where do you put things to make the flow of, of cooking best and easiest? And we're watching this video, and we're like, that does actually make a whole lot of sense. So we were <laughs> – so we go back, and we look at our kitchen, and we realize we just – it was set up all wrong. And it's one of those things that we had kind of, we like, you know, you move in and you just sort of put stuff someplace because sure. it seems to make sense in the moment. And then you never revisit it because that's just kind of how it is. Sure, that's where you put it. And so that's where it lives forever. Right, exactly. And so we did, we, we pulled kind of a bunch of stuff out of the cupboards and like moved everything around and, and did a bunch of changes. And darn, if the USDA like kitchen research team in the 50s did not have that figured out nice yeah (laughs) uh so just yet another thing on the list of like old man stuff that i love i've reorganized my kitchen based on like a 1950s united states department of agriculture informational video hey man listen but you should look at you should look it up and find it like if you can it's it works really well it does make cooking like it does exactly what it says it does. It made cooking way simpler and easier, and like the flow of it works in a much more convenient way. So, I don't know. Reorganize your kitchen. Crush it. Crush the kitchen. Yeah. Just do it. Do it better. I don't know. So, Matt, what is our third star of the week? Third star of the week, Dave, is that the other day I went to go see at a local movie theater a midnight showing of Flash Gordon. Fla- so, Matt, who's the? Who's the main character of that? Oh, that would be uh, Flash. <laughs> yeah, Gordon. Okay. okay, good. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, God, that song is so good. It's very good. The whole soundtrack to that movie is amazing. That movie is amazing. Dave, when was the last time you saw Flash Gordon? I, I gotta be honest, Matt. It's been a really long time. I may never, I actually don't think I've ever sat down and watched that movie, like, start to finish. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen the whole thing, but it's always like, you know, I saw like, the first half on TV, and then I had to, like, go somewhere, and then I saw the second half later. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I feel like it's definitely the I've sort of movie I've listened to the theme song a whole bunch like of that. times, though. Um, have you ever seen Barbarella? The Jane Fonda movie? Yeah, like ages ago. Okay. You know, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is, is sort of a comparison for anyone who hasn't seen Flash but has seen Barbarella. I don't know what sort of Venn diagram that looks like. I'm just trying to give people as much information as I, I feel can. I like the middle section of that Venn diagram is really large. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Flash Gordon is an amazing movie. Um, it is... But it looks it's more like a performance art piece than it is a like a work of cinema in a lot of ways. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, it almost looks like a very involved stage production. Yeah, like it's a lot more like the important things about the Flash Gordon movie are the soundtrack, the costumes, like the places that people go in the set pieces. Like the the story of Flash Gordon 
barely makes any sense. But like you're there for all of the other stuff, right? Which and all that other yes. stuff is amazing. Everybody in that movie is great. Um Brian Blessed rules Didn't in that movie. Didn't the dude who star in that movie basically never do anything else ever? I would believe it. Like, he's not a good actor. <laughs> uh, he was a great Flash Gordon, but, like, you know, that does, that's not really a skill that transfers to a lot of other roles. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty specific thing you've got going on there. Oh, Matt, as a brief aside, did you know at one point... There was a uh, there was a Marvel comic series. It was like two for one. It was always the thing and someone else. Yeah, Marvel two. And, and there one. was an issue of it where the thing teams up with Doc Savage. Really? You know, they went a little too far, in my opinion, on the Man of Bronze thing. Like his skin tone is genuinely sort of unsettling. But yeah, the thing does team up with Doc Savage at one point. It's rad. Uh, that is cool. Um, I did not know about that issue. Dave. Yes. Yeah. Are you just listening to the Flash Gordon? theme song right now um yeah no yes okay. I <laughs> sorry um <laughs> it's so good it's very good okay here's the thing about going okay, to no, i'll turn it off let me turn it off here's the thing about going to see a midnight showing of flash gordon is that the movie starts at midnight and it ends at two in the morning and so at some point if you are awake for 93 percent of this movie and you fall asleep sometime during the last 10 minutes and wake up like, right at the end when everyone is, like, saying, Hail Flash. Um, having <laughs> slept through five minutes of this movie makes the preceding two hours seem like a nonsense dream. And I, I legitimately was like, I don't know where... I don't know where this movie ended and the dream began. Because the whole movie, if you sort of stop and try to describe it, all sounds like a weird dream. And so, like, I really had to <laughs> focus on, like, okay, what was the last thing I know I remember seeing? <laughs> uh, anyway, Flash Gordon rules. The, another weird thing about seeing it at 2 in the morning is I got a lift uh, to and from the theater because I didn't want to, like... Yeah, that's be, definitely a good idea. I, I just didn't want to be driving around at 2 in the morning. Um, but the thing is that, like, that when I called the lift... The guy pulled up from around the corner. I got in his car and I looked at him, and he was the same guy who had sold me popcorn like two hours beforehand. Uh, he was just like waiting around for people to want rides no, home. Like he was just happened to be heading home. But like, oh yeah, if you leave a movie theater at two a.m., probably your Lyft driver works at that movie theater. It was a very <laughs> weird moment <laughs> because it didn't feel like I was getting a lift. It felt like. The guy from the theater like, was just special like, concierge yeah, service just dropping from me off theater. after this showing. <laughs> uh, anyway, but it was tons of fun. Um, I like doing that sort of thing when I have the opportunity, and I did, and yeah. so did it. Dave, what is our fourth star of the week? So our fourth star of the week, Matt, is this. Uh, Matt, Beth and I got a chance to go see Black Panther. Yes, which we're not going to talk about right now, but uh, all the hype about it is 100% deserved. It's incredible. Nice. I have not yet seen it because I was spending my movie time watching Flash Gordon instead. Well, it'll... it'll Matt, I got a prediction. It's going to be in the theaters for like a while. Okay. You'll, you'll probably be okay. Yeah, uh, we actually able to go see it because uh, producer Mark, so kindly, he came out... Because the, the babies are foster kids, you have to go through like a lot of paperwork to be able to babysit. Yes. Because they're not actually like our kids and because producer mark had lived with us for a while he's already done the paperwork and so he very kindly was just like you know what why don't i come out you guys can get a break it was amazing so thank you mark i feel like i haven't 
said thank you enough times. Thank you so much. Publicly, thank you. Anyways, so on our way out to the theater, well, I'm not actually going to talk about Black Panther, just to clear that up. Okay. This star is not Black Panther. The star is three things that I saw on my way to Black Panther. Okay. The first one, because we went out to uh, the city of Willoughby, which is, which is by us, and as we were driving out, there was a sign for a business, and the name of this business was just I Heart Pie. Okay. That's just all that was on the sign. I mean, that's reasonable. I also heart yeah, yeah, pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, me too. Just by, I mean, and it was just a heart. It didn't say heart. It just, there was a, the sign was I heart icon pie. That was it. All right. Which like, I kind of don't even, like, yeah, that makes sense. Are you a bakery and you only serve pie? Because that seems super niche. No, Dave. But anyways. Dave, Dave, Dave. That is not, that would be I make pie. This is I heart pie. They are a pie, they're not a pie delivery service. They are a pie receiving service. <laughs> I really hope this dude has set up a storefront and you show up. He's like, so what do you got for me? What do you got? <laughs> um, the second one is we were driving by a car wash place and the sign for the car wash place just said, Wakanda seems nice. All right. I mean, hey, Which, I'm not going to argue. I'm just saying, can't argue with that. And here is the last, this is the best part. So there is a chain of local uh, fried chicken places. Uh-huh. And, well, it's a chain, it's, anyways. And it's called Mr. Chicken in Cleveland. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you're from the area, Mr. Chicken. I don't think I've and ever we eaten driving, a Mr. Chicken. I haven't actually. Like, I imagine it's got to be good. They've been in business forever. And, and... They're good enough that people eat there instead of KFC, I guess. So yeah, man. I think it's got to be pretty good. Although, like, you're right. I haven't ever eaten there. And we were driving by the Mr. Chicken. And the sign just said, this is all about signs. And the sign just said, and I want to make it so clear that I am quoting this. Okay. And the sign just said, we got fish. <laughs> well, that's that's confusing. Well, I mean, I think okay. It's I have not to confusing. imagine they're like words alerting that you that they also like you know obviously they have chicken. That's what's on the sign. They just wanted you to know that also they got fish. Hey man, it's Lent season. I it's just it's the got that kills me. If they had just said we have fish or like now serving fish. Like that, I do, I wouldn't have even noticed it. I don't think that that does not seem so much like a sign as it seems like you are texting with a friend of yours, trying to figure out what to bring over to like their picnic. Like, hey man, so what, what do you, you already have? We like, well, fish. we got fish. <laughs> it just like it was so. It was just so casual. Like, I like I I almost stopped just to look at. I didn't. I was in the middle of the road. I just we got fish. All right, man. <laughs> Um, so that's really that. What's the fifth star of the week, man? They got fish. Okay, what's Dave, your star? The, the fifth star what of the week. Got? The fifth star of the week is not information that I have to deliver, David. It is information that I am seeking. Um, I know that many of the people who listen to this podcast uh, know things about the Power Rangers franchise in ways in ways much more deep than I do. Right? Yeah. Can someone please? Tell me what is going on with the Power Rangers right now. Because I have been reading all sorts of crazy reports. And here's, here's I can't get any solid information. 
Like, I, I think I just don't know the right places to look. So, I know that Bandai is no longer making the Power Rangers toys, but Hasbro is now. But also, maybe Hasbro is just buying the Power Rangers. And also, Hasbro dude. is making a new season of Power... Or, the new season of Power Rangers, after the current one, isn't going to be, like going forward to like a a more recent sentai it is going to be going backwards to adapt go busters which is a show from like five or six years ago i think that was never turned into a power ranger season which is crazy because go busters is in many ways or at least in a few ways like super sentai's tribute to power rangers like when they transform in go busters they say it's morphin time what yeah so i've never seen go busters i don't know what's happening with power rangers i don't know who owns them anymore and i kind of don't know like are they going to be just diving back into the old unused seasons are they going to be making a season out of that year when the super sentai was all about trains and imagination Dude, I don't know. It's, dude, Hasbro, I've been saying this for years, and it only gets more and more true as time goes by. Hasbro just owns fun. Oh, yeah, dude. Hasbro owns like you, all of the fun things you like. Yeah. Like, I could go through the list, but they just own fun. Like, if you dig something, and it's like a game or a toy, like, 85% chance Hasbro owns it. Dude, it's ridiculous. Hasbro owns Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, Hasbro owns Dungeons and Dragons. They own Fantasy Flight games. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Which me and like because Fan and Fantasy Flight owns like a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, Hasbro just owns fun. They own the Transformers. They own like all the toys from your childhood. All the toys from your childhood that you like. Those are all Hasbro. Yeah, or they are now at least. Right. Yeah, they maybe weren't originally, but they they 100 percent are yeah. now. Anyway, so please, someone, someone, just tell me what's happening with the Power Rangers because I need to know, and it's also confusing. I can only kind of understand Power Rangers or Super Sentai, and I put all of my understanding points into Super Sentai. Yeah, we don't. There's just not space in my universe for for more of this. So, Matt, I think that's it. Yeah. Speaking of Super Sentai, we're gonna go watch some. We're gonna watch episode fourteen of uh, Choriki Sentai O Ranger called "I Love Pinocchio," and we will be right back. <laughs> Okay, so this episode, as aforementioned, is called I Love Pinocchio. And Pinocchio, Dave, I don't, what what were you expecting out of this episode? Man, um, I don't really know. I just... Listen, here's the deal with Super Sentai titles. Either they reveal the entire plot of the episode, mm-hmm. or... They're so, like, weird and obtuse that, like, you're better off ignoring them. Yeah. So, it, so it, it's, here's, here's it's impossible to know until you get into it which one you've right. got. So what I expected was there would be a robot named Pinocchio. That's as far as I got, and I was correct on that. Well, you crushed it. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we this... start off in a ramen soup restaurant. Yes. Uh, Shohei uh, has brought Yuji here because, like, mm -hmm. they have some great... I think it's a cashew special. You know, I didn't catch it, but it's, like, some particular ramen. And, like, Yuji's never been here, and Shohei's like, I'm addicted to this stuff. He's like, if I don't eat this every three days, I kind of can't function. Which, first of all, is a weird relationship to have with ramen. Hey, man, Uh, I get it. He's like... 
He's like, this is, he's like, this is the best ramen in Tokyo. Like, you don't even, you don't even know how incredible this ramen is. So they, they so place they, their order and the kid who works there, because it's like a family restaurant, like the kid mm-hmm. who works there goes over to the, the kitchen line and says, okay, two cashew specials. And we turn up to see the line cook and it is a giant robot. Yeah, it's like just straight up. It's a, it's a, it's very obviously like a borrow robot. Yeah, it will. We'll get to that later. But like, uh, huge is completely blown away by this. And even show he's like, oh yeah, that is a little bit weird. Like he somehow never noticed it before. Yeah, maybe he just never looked at who was making the food. But we definitely see like we get a little scene of this Pinocchio robot. Chopping up veggies and, you know, pouring the broth and so forth. By the way, right. it looks very good. Yeah, and he, uh, Pinocchio is working super fast, you know, so like, and then we look over and we see mom and dad and they're just chilling out, playing yeah. a board game. They have purchased this, like, cook robot and now they just, it does all of the work for them? Yeah, so they're just kind of, they're just kind of hanging out. Uh, and Yuji is very sort of shocked by this. We cut the next scene to the headquarters where Yuji has gotten a videotape that is a recording of a commercial from the 21st century cyber industries. Where the, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's an okay. infomercial so, about these robots. Right, because when they... Like, Shohei is a little bit like, hmm, that's weird, but this ramen, though. Yuji is like, no, this is very, very strange. And so, that's, so we're back at base, and he plays this video. And, and the thing of the video is basically, like, listen, whatever you need, like, cradle to grave, Pinocchio robots are there for you. Need a babysitter? Right. We got it. Need a pitcher for your baseball team? We got it. You need a cook? Any we position. got it. Are you an old Any person? Any position on the team, Matt. Yeah, there's, like, a helper one for yeah. old people. There's a school teacher one for school-age kids. Weirdly, they all have, like, a giant wind-up things yes they like wind yes, up they keys do. in their back which is dumb because we see later in the episode that they have batteries yeah i think it's it's like a, an aesthetic thing which is a weird seems like an inconvenient thing to to throw on their backs but whatever and it so would make sense is, if pinocchio was traditionally a wind-up doll but he is not yeah um i just okay so so the rangers are looking at this and they're like well, okay, this is very obviously a paranoia plot. Right, like, clearly. That, that much is, is completely obvious. Oh, by the so way, there's also, check out. there's also a pet Pinocchio, which is basically oh, yeah. like a little, like, a baby doll sort of thing. Yes, and it is a very, well, we'll see in a, we'll see in a little bit. It looks so kind of like, like, what if Bull, Prince Bull don't looked less horrible? If he looked less like a dog? Yeah. Yeah. Have we mentioned that Prince Bulldog has like the face of a bulldog for oh. reasons that are, you know, I genuinely never put that together. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. You didn't know he has a bulldog face in his prince. Anyways. So I don't know if we've ever mentioned that, but yeah, he's got a bulldog face for reasons. And I just want to be completely clear are never touched on. Nobody ever references the fact that he has a bulldog face. Neither of his parents have animal faces. He's just a bulldog-faced boy for no reason. Just let that sink in for a second. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of it now, and uh, I had never seen it before, and now I see it, 
and now I can never unsee it. So thank you, Dave. Yeah, it thank makes you, you hate him more, doesn't ruining it? ruining a character I already hate. Yep, he's the worst. So, the Rangers are looking at this. Like I said, the Rangers are looking at this. Like, well, this is obviously a Baranoia plot. And the Chief says, yeah, you guys... Like, he's, he, he almost seems a little bit surprised that they're this transparent. Yeah. And he just, he's like, you guys just go check this out. Uh, whatever, just shut it down. Like, this is obviously Baranoia. So they go to the, like, factory where these things are being made. Um, and they're kind of, like, taking them apart and studying them. Like, well, there's no weapons in any of these things. Their AI seems way too advanced, though. Uh, and yeah, they turn they... to the kindly old robot maker, who is a weird character in this episode that I have a lot of questions about. Uh-huh. You're going to keep having them because they're never resolved. Yeah, we never see this guy again, but he is apparently the dude who designed these robots. And he yeah, says... so, well, they ask him, because uh, specifically, like, there's this one chip that they're using. Mm-hmm. And the rangers are looking at it, and they're like... Like you said, like, this is way, way, way too advanced. Like, there's no way that you came up with this thing. And he is shocked and hurt and defended that they would possibly attack him in this way. And he says, no. He's like, I just wanted to make Pinocchios to help people. That's all I wanted. He says, you know, this is a trial run. We're kind of getting them out there, seeing how it's going. But no, these are my invention. I did this. Yeah. Um, and like I said, they can't find any weapons or like ways that these things are threatening in the robots. And after a thorough examination, they're like, okay, well, we've got to let this guy go. We can't prove he's doing anything wrong. And also at this point, not prove it. mm -hmm. Not only can we not prove it. It doesn't even seem like he is in fact doing anything wrong. Like he just happens to have built a robot that looks a lot like a Baranoia robot. Yeah. Which I mean, but like... Let's 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 talk about this dude for a second, because clearly this is a paranoia plot, right? Like, I'm oh not... yeah, the literally the very next scene is us watching Empress Hysteria and Emperor Bacchus Wrath talking about how their Pinocchio plot is going super well. Yes. Okay. So let's think about this guy for a second. He is, I don't know, a tinkerer of some note, probably, right? Right. But he is a human. Like, Presumably. Paranoia has not been disguising robots as people. That's not something they can do. Like, these robots do not have human forms. Right. So, this is just some guy who Paranoia has convinced to put evil microchips in his toys, I guess. Or they have somehow tricked him into thinking that they are not from Paranoia, but I don't know how they do that, because they are big evil-looking robots, and even if that were the case, like, my dude, you live in a city that is constantly being harassed by murderous robots, why would your business plan be to create robots that look just like the one that destroyed downtown last week? And he, okay, here's the other thing. This dude has a full production facility going. Like, he's got a factory dedicated to turning out these robots. In which it appears he is the only employee. No, no, no. There's, there's a handful of other people around. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. Like, not a ton, but, like, there are other people there. And I just... So did he invent the chip? Did he not? Did he find it and wants to take credit for it? Did Paranoia implant it in his brain in a dream? They could have done that. I don't know. Anyway, I uh, have fun with these like, questions. They are never addressed. 
Yeah, sorry. Like, this is just, this is, like, I think the largest plot gap that we've encountered in, like, a really long time. Because it's really important that this dude is there and convinces them that this is not a paranoia plot when it 100% is. Yeah. I um, just... In, in the show, and, and like you said, the next scene is we go back up to the moon. Um, the royal court of the machine empire is super thrilled that their plan is going so well. Uh, we can see that uh, Juri has purchased for herself a pet Pinocchio that she is now taking with her everywhere. So what we, here is the plan on Baranoia's end of thing. Beautiful. And I, okay, first of all, I just want to say, I think that Baranoia Empire is actually going to end up really, at the end of the year, is going to end up really high on the list of, of overall bad guys because their plans rule. Because they've realized really early on that they cannot take the Rangers in a straight up fight. That yeah. like Oroa was just too powerful. And so every like it always ends up there because they've still got to sell toys. But Baranoia's plan is always like some weird convoluted thing. Right. Like here's the plan with the Pinocchios. They're going to get them out into the world. It's basically it's the Google plan is what I was thinking when I was when I was looking at it. Yeah. Is like you oh, put all these products a bunch of useful tools for you. Yeah, like you could just have them. Go for it. And then you realize that the whole thing eventually is like a a world domination oriented loss leader. Yes. And like once you're completely reliant on the Pinocchios, what they actually say is eventually people will love the Pinocchios so much they will make them citizens. Yes. And then eventually and then, we will have a Pinocchio prime minister. And and I'm not sure where the plan goes from there. Like, they got as far as Pinocchio Prime Minister. And this is all happening. Sorry. They've created a dream sequence where yes, Pinocchio dream is, sequence. is delivering political speeches in a top hat and, like, a sash. Yes. And then is being, like, yeah, there's, like, a ticker tape parade where he has won the Prime Minister's position. It's And, like, that's how we'll conquer good. the world, I guess. Yeah, man. So that's if, the plan. If you if you can't do it one way, you gotta go in through the back door. So okay, so Jury has this pet Pinocchio that she is like she's she's super in love with. She loves this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, we see there's a quick shot of her at home, mm-hmm. and they have they have drastically like they took a hard shift on the character of Jury. Yeah, uh, which. After those first eight episodes, they turned her into a much more like cute oriented character. Yeah, they and did. I actually, and actually, it's, it's I, I don't, I, I. It disappoints me. I think. Okay, it disappoints me a little bit, but in another way, I love it even more because they changed that element of her character. Like we see her house, and her house has like is very like. I guess it's just very stereotypically girly, mm-hmm. and she is like interacting with this little baby doll and stuff. But what they did not change is the fact that Jury has just got the heaviest hands. Like, she hits dudes so hard. Yeah. And just wrecks shop. Uh, there is and a scene did in, not change. in a minute where she jumps off the... She not trans... Like, she is not henchened at this point. She's just, like, straight-up regular Jury. Jumps off the top of a train to, like, drop kick uh, or, like, flying missile kick this robot. It's super great. But, yeah, yeah it's... Uh, and the- jury. Like, when they made the show lighter 
after the eighth or ninth episode. The I think that the main difference in the characters, like everyone else, stayed exactly the same, and Jerry got like this sort of overhaul. Right, but she does not stop wrecking shop, and so it yes, actually almost I, makes ah, me like it even more. It's yeah, I, I feel conflicted about it. That I do love. I miss. It's just that I miss the jury from the early episodes, but I do yeah, love what we no, have Yeah, no, it was now. a great character. Anyway, um, their uh, jury and Garo are rolling around trying to figure out, like, okay, something's going on. We still need to be searching into this. And they see a robot, like, dressed in a big black robe and hood, running around in a train yard. Yeah, and he's got, like, all you can see is you can see his head. And then you can see his, like, weaponized arms coming out from under the robe. And he's got, like, a big grabby claw thing. And then he's also got a, a Gatling gun yeah. arm, basically. And they're like, okay, well, that obvious, like, even if the other thing isn't a paranoia monster, this is definitely a paranoia monster because it's got a Gatling gun arm. So, like, they do not stop. They do not pass go. Uh, they just attack this thing. Yeah. Uh, they're fighting it for a little bit. They... Like, they shoot it as it is running away, um, and then go try to, like, chase after it, but the only thing they find is the robe and, like, a robot head inside the robe. But then immediately after this, they turn to their left, and they see the ramen shop Pinocchio just, like, going by on a bicycle. With, like, on, like, it's, like, it's the ramen shop bicycle, it's got, like, the delivery box on the back, and he's, like... Whistling some song about about ramen. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, they're like, uh, Robo Dude, did you see another Robo Dude right here two seconds ago?" And he just says, uh, "No." He's like, "I was super busy doing my ramen stuff." And they look at him and they're like, "Well, this is very, very suspicious." But you don't have a Gatling gun arm, so I guess you're just the ramen shop robot. Yeah, I think they follow him then back to the ramen shop. Um, yeah, and they say like, "Oh, where were you? You were gone a long time." And I, he just offers sight. He's like, "Oh, I got, I got lost or something." Yeah, Goro like straight up does not believe him, and the ramen shop owner is furious and like kicks them out of the ramen shop. They're like, "No, like you oh, yeah, get out of here!" Right? He's furious with the Rangers. He's like, "How dare you oh, impugn yeah. the integrity of my chef bot?" Uh, so they like Goro and Yuji set up a stakeout. Yes. Okay. This is incredible because they set up a stakeout in their official like black SUV, wearing their United Air Force robes. Hey or, man, listen. Robes. The only thing that Clothes. the robot did to disguise himself was put on a Grim Reaper cloak. The fact that they are even tr- bothering to try to hide means that they are one step ahead of the opposition. <laughs> I don't know that I'd say they were trying to hide so much as just sitting there in plain sight, but sure. Um, They are, like, scanning this Pinocchio as he is riding his bike away, and they're saying, there's no traces of, like, gum powder on him, so clearly that couldn't have been the same dude. Yeah, they're like, we... Like, he can't let it go, though. He's like, we know there's something weird, but everything we're seeing is telling us that this is, in fact, just a Pinocchio bot. Yes. So... We go from there, and we see Juri, and she has got her pet Pinocchio. She's doting upon this thing. Yeah, she loves this thing. Um, and 
there is a uh, there's a quick cutaway where we see Asha and Kocha, and Asha's like, okay, here's the plan. And we see him, and he takes the head off of the pet Pinocchio, and he puts in some dynamite. Yeah. Or he puts in, like, an explosive device of some sort. He puts the head back on, and then he says, okay, when she brings this thing to headquarters, it will explode, and that will be the end of the Rangers. And the pet Pinocchio is like, cool, I am into this. Like, I will... I will, like, cute my way into getting brought along to this thing and blow myself up. Yeah. So, so then <laughs> we see we see Jury, and she's in her uniform, and she takes the pet Pinocchio. She, like, puts it in her car, and she is just, she just drives up to the headquarters in her, like, sedan. Yep. Which uh, I really love the mundanity of that mode of transportation. Right. That there is not like she doesn't have like a helicopter on the roof. She's just got an apartment that yeah. she lives in, and she's just got her sedan from when she was just in the Air Force or whatever. And she just drives that to their like super science headquarters where she defends the entire planet. Right later, she gets giant robots. But this is just her commuter it. car. Right. So she pulls up and, you know, like she shows her ID to the guards and thanks them for doing such a good job. Um, And Goro is inside the HQ and he's looking at the monitors and there's a camera trained on the front gate. And he sees Jury arriving with the pet Pinocchio. Now, at this point, every time they have tried to prove that the Pinocchios are evil... Uh, they have failed. Like, they have no evidence that there is anything wrong with the Pinocchios. But Goro is acting on his gut. Yeah. And so he sees that the pet Pinocchio is there, and he just says, like, oh, no, and he just starts running. Yeah. He immediately intuits what this, like, what is going to happen. Because he runs down to Jury's car, Grabs just the, into the parking garage. Yeah, they don't even have. As far as I can tell, the Rangers do not even have like reserved parking spots. <laughs> um, you know, it's nice. It's egalitarian. <laughs> and so Jenny has taken Pet Pinocchio out of her car, and Goro just runs up and snatches it out of her hands, and says, "Like run!" And, and she's very confused. He runs to the bridge that uh, they you have to sort of like drive across a bridge like over a ravine to get to the O-Ranger base. He runs to the bridge and just whips this thing over the side into a ravine. And then as it hits the ground, it explodes. And the size of this explosion would like maybe have exploded Jury's car. And nothing else. Well, maybe the idea is that it was supposed to, like, wiggle its way into a particularly sensitive part of the base or something. Man, sure. that, Or maybe this was I, a terrible plot, but regardless. I prefer that this is just a... Because t- Ancho and Kocha seem to be operating on their own for this one, and I prefer the idea that it's just a terrible, terrible plot. So I mean, that's fair. The, so the very next scene that we see is Yuji. Like, we get, like, a full... We get a screen full of Yuji. And he's just saying, you idiot. Like, he's like he's super angry and not being pleasant about this. No. And then we see Juri, and she is, like, crying into her hands. And she says, he was so cute, though. He just said that he wanted to come to the base. I didn't think anything of it. And they're like, okay, well, if we didn't know before, like, right. this at least is proof positive that this right. is a paranoia plot. 
So we, we cut away from here to the train yard again. And the Robin shop Pinocchio is meeting with Acha and Kocha. And is like, oh, hey. Which, like, obviously. Like, what's up, Lord Acha? Like, I am here to do your bidding. <laughs> um, and Acha says, okay, well, I'm sick of waiting. I, I thought this other plan was going to work. So you are just going to have to, you're just, like, time to break cover. You just got to kill the rangers now. Right. Uh, at this point, the kid who works at the ramen shop rides by on his bicycle and says, oh, hi, Pinocchio. I've been looking all over for you. We wondered where you were. And then <laughs> Pinocchio's eyes glow red, and the scene cuts away. And for a moment, I definitely thought that Pinocchio murdered that child. That, I don't know that we've ever had a child be straight up murdered in this show, but it wouldn't blow me away. So we go to a factory, and Pinocchio is there. The ramen shop Pinocchio, I think we can just start calling Pinocchio because he is the main Pinocchio. He's the Yeah, he is the head Pinocchio here. Um, and he is, like, setting charges all over this factory because he's going to blow it up. And while he is doing it, he is complaining because he's like, man, I thought I was going to be the prime minister, and now I just have to blow stuff up. Like, this is not how I thought things were going to go. Yeah, it's like, I had a much different plan for my own life. Uh, I thought I was going to be... Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do We do then get to see that the kid is not dead. He and the parents and a few other people are, like, tied up in the room. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he actually, it turns out, they're, they're okay. So as he's doing this, of course, uh, the O-Rangers arrive. And the, the Pinocchio, at this point, it, it is time for him to reveal his true nature. Yeah, and, and his true nature is... <laughs> the machine beast Bara Pinocchio. Like Pinocchio. I'm so in love with that killer. name. I literally don't know how to handle it. It's the best. So um, all that happens is he gets kind of like an evil face and then his arms turn into the machine gun and like the grabby claw. Okay, here's what's insane about this, Dave, is that earlier the O-Rangers literally like disassembled and like, did tests on Pinocchio to check whether or not he was an evil robot. And they're like, hey, man, there's no weapons in this. We have scanned him thoroughly. So what does that mean? Like, were the guns somehow so well hidden that the O-Rangers weren't able to find them? Or were the guns literally not there until he magically transformed into Pinocchio? And if they did just magically transform, like... It seems like there should have been something going on. Okay. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Maybe here it is. Maybe the old dude did actually invent a chip and the Barra Empire were like, oh, that chip looks super advanced and they just installed like a virus, like a techno-organic virus in it that allows this whole thing to happen. Okay. Like, I mean, sure. They were like not? piggybacking. Sure. I mean, listen, dude. I, I'm, I'm grasping at straws. So anyways, he turns into Bara Pinocchio, mm -hmm. which I still just love. And then the fight's on, man. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're going at it. Um, four of the Rangers are fighting Pinocchio. Um, Shohei goes over to, like, go save the people who are all tied up. 
which is nice uh, because I like I had kind of forgotten that this was like sort of a Shohei episode because it started off because he loved this ramen so much. Yeah, I mean, it's a Shohei episode in a very loose sense. Or maybe he's just the one who runs off to go save them because like he recognize like he is the one who feels the most strongly about them because they serve him his delicious ramen. Yeah. Uh, but the bombs all start to go off, and there's fire everywhere, and the rangers are all transforming. Um, Shohei is trapped behind a wall, like, that has collapsed with all the fire. Uh, but it's not trapped there for long, because Goro just straight up punches through this wall. Love it. Uh, it's very good. I mean, I don't know why Shohei could not have also punched through that wall, but he didn't, because this uh, is a Goro moment. Right, I don't know, man. He's, like, worried about the people... Or something. So they all get out of this factory right before it collapses. Uh, They pose in an extremely dramatic fashion uh, and say their name. And then, like, there is a full outdoor fight, which actually doesn't last super long because they just call the giant giant roller. Yeah, well, they get in, they use the King Blasters, and then they use, what's it called again? Where, like, they all just, like, Buster Shot or something like that. Oh, uh, Big Big Bang Buster. Big Bang Buster, thank you. And then they call Robert Roller. Yes. The uh, Robo Roller. The Giant Wheel. The Wheel Toy. They call it the Giant Wheel Toy. Yeah. Giant Roller, I think it's called, but... Yes, thank you. Uh, and, and in Power Rangers Zeo, it is all either called the Defender Wheel or the Guardian Wheel. I don't know which because there are two wheels and they are unrelated. Hmm. I feel like either one of those is better than Giant Roller, but... Sh- but... So, Giant Roller works... And then, like, at this point, it's sort of formulaic, right? Like, giant roller works, and then it goes down, and then they shoot the enlarging energy into it, and then Pino Killer gets big. Uh, Pino Killer actually gets a couple of shots in. And the one thing I will say about the giant fight is this, is that I feel like they're doing a fairly good job of slowly ramping up the power level of the giant robots. Mm-hmm. So when O-Robo first showed up, it was zero contest. Like, he showed up. And he did Final Crash, and like that was it. Game over. As the episodes have been progressing, the giant robot, the Barra Empire robots, have been getting in like incrementally more licks as the show goes on. So like yeah. Barra Pino Killer gets a few shots in, and for like just a second, it looks like O Robo might have a little bit of trouble, and mm-hmm. then he kind of rallies and then and then that's it. Well, he does the Moa cannons and then Taurus Rush and then uh, crown final crash. Uh, not the Mo cannons, the Vulcan cannons. What I, what I, oh, sorry, yeah, Vulcan cannons. What, and the only reason I uh, am bothering to correct you is that what I like about it is that since they're able to swap these heads around, what's cool is that this episode focused sort of on Jury and Shohei a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jury and Shohei are the two who got to like use their special heads to fight this thing. It's just, it's oh, just yeah. a little Good bit point. to sort of like like have that through line go all the way through the episode. So uh yeah, so they and then it's Crown Final Crash and then that's the end of Baro Pino Killer. There there is one one thing I want to say about killing Baro Pino Killer, which is right before they kill him, they definitely do oh, chop yeah. his nose off. <laughs> that's a, that a good moment. And it is only in that moment that I remembered like, oh yeah, Pinocchio sometimes has a long nose. That's a big thing about Pinocchio that was never in this episode. So that's the end of Baro Pinocchio. The uh, the Baranoia evil plot is stopped. 
And the last scene is Shohei has brought all the Rangers back to this favorite ramen shop. Yes. And, and he's she, like, all right, guys. And Shohei has an apron on. Like, he is working as one of the waiters. Yeah, he's super excited. And he says, guys, this is, I'm, you guys don't even know how good this ramen is. So they all sit down and Shohei is sitting across from Juri. And Juri takes a bite and she says, this is terrible. And Juri's like, what? And he takes a bite. And he's like, oh, it's so bad. <laughs> and he looks over and he just sees the ramen chef like smiling and waving. Which I love. So I, <laughs> like, like the only reason this place was any good was because an evil robot was making their soup. <laughs> I just I really like the idea that he had never eaten the actual guy's ramen. It was only ever Pinocchio. And that's what he loved. And now this place is garbage. Yes. Um, and I love... I love episodes where one of the rangers gets super into a particular, like, noodle place. Um, They don't happen all the time, but when they do, they are very good. You know, I think there's at least one per season, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, I know there's definitely one in Time Ranger. In Time Ranger, there is an episode where... Because in Time Ranger, all the monsters are, like, criminals from the future. Like oh, monster okay. criminals from the future. And this nice. criminal was a arsonist, but he was also a food critic. Hmm. And so, like, he would go to restaurants, and if their food did not meet up to his exacting standards, he would burn it down. And the Yellow Ranger in that show, who was, like, a professional wrestler slash cage fighter from the future, um, nice. who became a policeman and then came back to the past. Love it. Um, he loves this noodle place so much that he learns how to make like the perfect soba noodle so that when this arsonist food critic shows up he like he has to admit how good the noodle is and it throws like him he, off of his plot of burning the place down like he pinch hits in on these noodles to save his shot awesome yes time ranger so time ranger is very good guys <laughs> so that's the end of that episode but it's not matt the end of our episode. No, it is not, because now it is time for us to determine where Barra Pino Killer fares in the Creature Royale. So, so I like Barra Pino Killer a lot. Well, I like sure. his plan. I like that he is also an excellent ramen chef, mm-hmm. apparently. I love his name. I love his name. Uh, he is not like, you know, he is not one of those dudes who is important to the season, but he is a great uh, monster of the week. Yeah. So, I don't know, Matt, throw some stuff at me. Where are you, where are you thinking? Okay. So, I'm looking, I'm looking around Bar of Darts. Okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. Because Barra Darts is a great monster. He's got a cool look and a good hook. Um, he's just a monster of the week. Um, but he did manage to, like, you know, get some stuff done. And there was a, a virus that he had to deal with. Uh, and the Rangers had to resort to, like, really sort of, like, sneaking around on him. Uh, and that was cool. Pinocchio is another dude who, like, you know, the Rangers really had to sort of figure out what the deal was with him. 
Yeah, anything where it's not just a straight-up fight, I'm automatically, like, a little more interested in. Yeah, now, see, above Ser- uh, Baradarts is Saragami the Ninja Monkey. I don't think, I, I don't like Pinocchio as much as I like him. Okay, but, you know, I'm looking at the people who are under him, actually, and two down from there is Omukare the Football Centipede Santa Claus. Ooh, Dude, that's t- okay. Because here's the thing about Omokadami Football Centipede Santa Claus, which is a mouthful to say, is that he himself is not like that incredible as a football centipede monster. Mm-hmm. Just the episodes surrounding him is so off of the rails crazy that it's hard to like. It's hard to separate him from that. Like that goes a long way toward getting Omukade that as high on the list as he is. That's true. That's true. But I feel actually that um, Pino Killer is kind of the same way. Like he's got a great name, and the episode is fun because the Rangers don't know what's happening. But he, as a robot, is not a huge threat. He's got like a gun hand, you know. Yeah. So in in that case, I would actually put I would put Pino Killer below Omukade because if we're comparing them like monster to monster, they're pretty equivalent. And I just want to remind you, Matt, that Omukade was the head, the false head of an entire village of Santas. Yes, he did definitely like use his uh, evil magic to brainwash the real Santa into using his ice breath on the Cocker Rangers. Yeah. So if we're comparing episode to episode, I, I feel like Pino Killer's got to go underneath Omukade. Okay, and right under Omukade is Bear Crusher. Ooh, well, okay. I think I would put Pino Killer above Barra Crusher. Okay, well, that's fair. So there we go. Uh, so Pino Killer is now our new number 41 on the list. Not a bad showing at Barra Pino Killer. Not at all. Well, that is going to do it for another episode of For Your Eyes, O-Ranger. Dave, it was good to get back in the saddle this week. Sure was, Matt. And this was a good episode to do it with. Uh, but before we finish up here, I would like to remind you all that you can email the show at supersentibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter or tell me what is going on with the Power Rangers. Please uh, we are, let us know what's going on with the Power Rangers. We are at Super Sentai Bros. If you like the show, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get the show. That's what helps people uh, find it, or so we have been told. Uh, the... Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Uh, to listen to any of the other great Retrograde Orbit Radio shows, you can do that at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Uh, once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.